Hello and welcome back. This is Colin Keeley here. And I'm Brent Sanders. And we are two guys buying and building wonderful internet companies. And this week, we want to talk about debt. We want to talk about other ways of funding a acquiring in, in the context of what we do, SaaS businesses. So online businesses that have recurring revenue. We have been spending a lot of time, if you're a listener to the podcast, we spend our time looking at deals, evaluating, doing diligence, them, trying to acquire them. And the most attractive part is they shed money every single month. There's this recurring revenue that's happening. So these are largely subscription businesses that are, we really like the B2B space. So if you're a listener, you already know that, but I wanted to talk about in different options and inquiring, acquiring different businesses. So when I say debt, what I mean is like getting a, a historically like a bank loan. And I think we've talked about it on past podcasts, right? Yeah, we've talked about it a number of times in leverage buyouts and like the heyday of the 80s and corporate raiders is what people think of. But Gordon you know, Gecko. Gordon Gecko, that kind of thing. But like people do it in their daily lives of like if you buy a house, you don't put up, you know, 100% of that amount in cash generally. You basically do a leverage buyout and you, you know, get a bank loan and then you pay, you know, debt service on that bank loan and you put in a 20% down or something. So that is maybe the most obvious example. And then if you hold it for 30 years, you own the house. Like you had to pay a bunch of interest payments, but you own it outright. Yeah. Yeah. And so for businesses that, you know, are, are constantly generating some form of cash, there's a potential. And this is like going back to, we worked on a, an incubated project at our, our previous venture fund where we were doing invoice factoring or looking at that as a space and testing out that market it was called finance fuel. And the idea was you basically buy somebody's receivables. And so with that is you need to know, they normally take 30, 60, 90 days to get paid. You give them cash at some discount that you're going to collect all the money, but you give them cash up front. Now it's like a payday lending for businesses, which is been around forever. It's like the, one of the oldest businesses is, is you're going to get paid, but we'll get you cash sooner. So as we were looking at that business, I started thinking of, as we've been working on these businesses, as we've been working on like more SaaS models and, and figuring out, okay, what could we buy? What's our, our sort of capital potential? How could we leverage to, to get businesses for, for putting out less cash? Because I think there's a, a whole market here that has some upside around, you, know, you could buy smaller businesses and we could do 10 deals without even, maybe not 10, I don't know, whatever that number is, without trying to raise capital and you just own the businesses outright after you've paid these loans back, which is part of our thesis is hold these things forever. Don't sell the business, hold them forever and ever. And so it makes a ton of sense. Right. And so why this is amazing is you could put up very little of your own money. So if you could finance something 90%, you buy a million dollar business, you only have to put a hundred thousand dollars down. And as long as the business cash flows and could pay off that debt, like you own that million dollar business outright over the course of three to five years, whatever you do. And that, that's pretty amazing. You're taking on some risk in different forms, but that is the potential there. You just don't need as much capital. So I think that's a great startup idea. And I guess it's probably being done. There's, you were mentioning Pipe earlier. I mean, so Pipe does this now, right? It's just, it's, to me, it's servicing this scale is, is the most interesting part. Not necessarily a concept. It's the, I don't know what the, the exact metrics or deal sizes would be, but I don't know, revenue-based financing. So you're bringing the money in and why shouldn't you be able to, to leverage some multiple of the, the annual earnings of a company? Yeah, this, the size is uh, the hiccup here. So I actually had one of the top SBA lenders on my course to give a guest lecture. So we went through it over the course of an hour 
And at different sizes, you have different options. I would say for, I have the exact numbers in the course, but you could get an SBA loan above a certain amount and below 5 million. So I think it's above half a million to 5 million. And then beyond that, there's another leap. And then you could get like traditional uh, bank financing, which is more like search funds. Uh, so like the top MBAs go out and buy a business. Often they, they could get debt if they buy a big enough business uh, to really juice their returns. But yeah, if we're playing on these smaller companies, Pipe will do it a little bit where they'll give you the money up front to buy a business or at least a portion of it. But it's a relatively small portion. And then there just isn't really, there's an opportunity there to finance more of these small acquisitions. And there really just aren't great op, uh, options to do so yet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that one to, sorry, that $100,000 to $500,000 know, annualized revenue point is is on, largely unserviced, whether it's that or just something on the, even the bottom of the market, I, I feel like you could charge a fair amount in interest, right? In APR to make it worth your while, it's like, if you had, uh, again, in my mind, you, the same diligence that we do on, on deals. And then it's, if you underwrite the deal, the collateral could just be the business. It's, it doesn't necessarily even have to be a personal guarantee. Uh, yeah. So we could talk about this a little bit where it's, so often these are like service businesses or businesses with a real estate component where you're buying it for a lower multiple, a lower multiple of cash flow. And so it's easier to layer debt on top of it, but SaaS is often more expensive. So you often mm -hmm. have to pay a higher multiple of cash flow to buy it. So it makes it harder to pay that debt service or to put too much debt on a business. So mm -hmm. like on our acquisitions, we'll put on some debt just to juice our returns, but it would be much harder unless you're getting a really amazing deal and a really low multiple to do it like 90% and buy something out. Right be risky. What you're saying that is essentially like you won't be able to service the debt. If right. And so that's the whole game is like adding debt, you know, juices your upside, but it also creates this downside where if you're not able to service the debt, able to pay for whatever loan you took out, the business goes to, you know, the debt provider. So it is a, a bit of a dangerous game if you overdo it, which is what happens whenever you hear like a rich person went bankrupt. It's like, how does that make sense? Like how they go bankrupt? It's always because they had too much leverage and yeah. they just got, you know, killed. Oh boy, that so it seems like a really this is just a very old concept. There's nothing new, and there's nothing. The only part that's interesting to me is the sort of the focus on a SaaS business. So I think it's a great start. I'm sure, as I said, I'm sure somebody's already doing it, but that is way better than invoice factoring in my mind. Is, is trying to fund these deals because, as from your course and the amount of interest there, this is just a the bottom of the market. I shouldn't say the bottom. The lower end of the market is, is getting a lot of activity. It's really interesting for people like who may have some either technical know-how or want to you know, basically buy themselves a job even. They want to get into and put their time into a, a SaaS business. It may only take one person. So I think that's the one thing that I, I don't love about the businesses, either as a, underwriting a deal or thinking of taking the revenue. If I were to, to do this myself as like an acquirer and, and take out a loan and, and use debt is at the lower end, you're servicing the debt and you're basically going to have to run that company like yourself, there's no room unless you, know, unless you allocate obviously more cash, but then not only do you have debt, but also you've got to pay somebody to run the business where I think on these larger deals, there's room to service debt and also have income to hire a CEO or a CTO or whatever it is you're doing with the business. 
Yeah. So like what you want in a business that you are acquiring, or if you're lending, if you're the bank in this situation, you want stable cash flows, you want relatively low fixed costs, and you want a reasonable valuation. So if someone, an investor can find like a SaaS deal, it definitely has stable cash flows. It is super low fixed costs because it's all, you know, computers running things. And then the sticky point is if you could find a reasonable valuation or else you just, as the, the lender, you wouldn't want to lend too much because you uh, run into that situation where you're taking over the business that maybe you don't want to. Yeah. Yeah. Like the, like somebody, obviously banks aren't great at, at, you know, when, when they take over a home, it goes for a fire sale because they just, they got to get it off their books. And same thing would be with any business that unless you were a specialized start a, a lending studio where you could take on bankrupt businesses, turn them around and sell them at, at, a, at a profit, but that would likely be the hardest thing to do. So no one should do that part of the, the startup idea. But yeah, it's, it's super interesting to see. We've talked about the SBA side of things. We've talked about some of the lending options. I like the idea of you don't do this. You don't buy a business if you don't have full confidence or a great deal, at least of confidence that it's going to work. So if there's a way to, to get some debt involved, I think it's healthy, right? I think from a, as you were saying, you can juice your profits or juice your, your, your numbers, essentially, if there's an outcome there, but also like just getting to something like being able to get a new home. I mean, it's the same argument for mortgages. It's everyone's going to be a little bit better if they have a home and have that stability. Obviously there are downsides to debt and even the way mortgages work. It's a ton of interest that you're giving up, but still you, you can grow into something and it, it provides a little bit more access, which I'm excited to see with this space and with Pipe in, in, in the mix and some other companies hopefully popping up. It's interesting to see more people getting access to this space because otherwise you have to know rich people. That's You got to find investors. You got to uh, convince rich people to give you money to spend out, outside of what you have available. Yeah, the other great thing is this is really good for entrepreneurs because right now it's easy to sell something that's really small, right? Like most individuals could buy it if it's sub $100,000. But then you hit this weird point where if it's like in the six figures or low digit millions, it's just too small and not interesting to like real private equity firms. And then it's too big for you know most individuals to take on. So you can reach like a no man's land where it gets hard to sell your company, which it's an amount of money that should be like life-changing, like a really nice outcome, but it's just hard. Like it's really hard to sell in that space right now. So there's definitely a need for it. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see, I could see, and I'm just throwing darts on the wall, but I could see players like Stripe getting into this. They're already doing the, we get offers, I get offers for businesses I run that use Stripe all the time now on capital. This is similar to the invoice factory in a sense of, okay, we, we can see what your revenue is. We can offer you a loan. And as you receive money, we'll just, we'll take a you know percentage of that and we'll take our fees. You won't be out of pocket, right? You'll, you'll just have cash. I'm really curious to see how that goes upstream into acquisitions, especially with, we've talked about this. I feel like our first podcast, we're all about acquisition pain points. I talked to one of our listeners about this as well. I'm just like, how do you make that, that transaction process better? And I'd say this is one of the interesting parts is if you could see, a, not really, a, I don't know what to call Stripe. They're not really a payment processor anymore. And they're not just a bank. They're like a capital entity or something that is a little more digital folks. Like you, you're, you can get underwriting done with them so quickly because they have all your data. Then again, I, I don't know, just as a minor aside, I don't know if you heard about the whole Zillow house flipping thing. Of course. Yeah. Oh man. That 
we were cracking up about that today. I was talking to my wife about it. And it was like, she didn't, she hadn't heard anything about it. And she was telling me a story about how it wants to sell their house for some ridiculous amount of money. And they paid half that five years, four or five years ago. And it's, it was hilarious. She's just, nobody's going to pay that. I'm like, yes, the AI will pay for that. Zillow, Zillow <laughs> is paying for homes like that. I think they had thousands of them. Like, I think the tank oh, yeah. stock almost half lost half of its value. Yeah. Enormous losses. It was billions and billions in homes and in a time where like they were buying up single family homes in Phoenix, which you know, it's like kind of a question of how do you lose money doing that? Because it's like boom times for single family homes during COVID right. and everyone's moving to it. But yeah, they messed up pretty bad and let it run for clearly like way too long. Like they bought thousands of homes way for way too high of a price. Like you think you would notice on a smaller scale, but I think it just goes to show like what Open Door is doing is you know, much more impressive than it may seem from the outside. It's those low margin businesses are hard. The, the tie in there though, it's, it's like the, and I have no idea if Stripe does the same thing where they have some form of automated underwriting. I'd imagine they do if they're giving my silly candle business a loan offer, but still and this business has been around for a long time. It's just like the idea of moving into more complex transactions or just hoping that I think you and I are both hoping that the business transaction, the business to business, like buying and acquiring businesses becomes less of a, a super private industry. I'm not sh- saying it should be public per se, regulated by any means, but it like standardized. There's a, it's closer to buying a home than it is buying a, a business, which is just the wild west. Yeah, it's clear it's boom times. I think there's going to be way more and more small businesses created, especially in this internet space. And then more of them are being acquired and like uh, people are coming to fill the gap. Obviously, I'm coming with the education piece of it. Microacquire is like taking on more and more pieces of it. And I like the whole industry is going to standardize and a lot of people are trying to help help that along. Yeah. I I would say this coupled with, you know, the, the crypto kind of revolution that's continuing to happen. That's, you know, it's not happening right now. I mean, it's just been going on and on. It will be interesting. You see these uh, DAOs, which are what... Digit, what is it again? What does it stand for? <laughs> uh, Distributed, decentralized. Yeah. Autonomous, Autonomous. organizations. I yes. Believe. Okay. I got one of the words. So speaking of, if you have that concept of this like dis- distributed, decentralized governance, why couldn't you do that? I think we're seeing lending come into this as well. And so there seems like there, there could be a cool tie in there. We'll, we'll see what happens with regulation around it. But I think you and I were, we both registered our Ethereum name server. What do you call them? Your names, essentially like your domain name for Ethereum. I did mine a month ago. You probably did yours a couple months before that. And they just did their airdrop, which was like the first thing that I've ever really first airdrop I've been a, a part of. And that was like amazing. Yeah. So backstory here, Ethereum name service, ENS. So we talked about it before I registered colinkeely.eth. So that's registering your email or like your Twitter handle, but in the Ethereum world, a pretty basic thing that most people on Twitter, it seems did. And I did mine for five years, cost $25, but then of course, it was like $125 in gas fees, which right. hurt at the time and seemed ridiculous. Yeah. But then everyone over the last, you have six months to claim it. So you have to claim it. It's not you know completely passive. But if you go in to the ENS and you claim your tokens, it's calculated based on when you registered and how long you registered for. But mine, and it sounds like most other people's, I ended up with 130 tokens, which as of right now is like uh, $10,000. Yeah which is, you know, absurd. And it's like most people on Twitter just, you know, 
found $10,000 on the floor this morning just by doing this, registering a name. Yeah, I'm looking right now. It's $11,046.87. Just fucking insane. I'm sorry. I'm just going to say it like <laughs> just random. You're, it makes sense what it is now. And, and under, as part of claiming those tokens, though, you had to vote and you had to assign a delegate. So you had to sort of participate in some way. And I don't know if everybody in the airdrop realize like or how much weight those votes are going to have necessarily because you don't really know it's I, I always try to explain this to people and i always fail but it's nobody really has a mcdonald's.com or the mcdonald's.eth i'm sure they do now but like the prevalence and importance of a domain name is i think everyone that's who's registered one is oh i'm not going to miss out on this again i'm going to register at least my name or some, what's you know dear near and dear to me so it, it's not really there yet but now that you throw you say hey these tokens have this value and the just in general, like speculative growth of Ethereum and Web3, there's, it feels like those are actually going to be very valuable votes to have in the future. And being able to shape that thing, it's, there's a lot of interesting discourse around the internet about what type of values are going into these organizations. And it's, it to me, I get a little tear in my eye because I feel like it's truly everyone's getting to vote. However, with these tokens worth what they are, if you can't afford to hold on to them, it seems like things will all go to one side, but that's my clueless take on it. I'm not super informed on governance around ENS, but I got to say that was the coolest thing to ever happen to me. Not ever, but one of the coolest things ever, definitely the coolest thing to ever happen to my cryptocurrency. That's amazing. Yeah. So welcome to the world of these airdrops. So the way it works, so ENS now is, I don't know, a multi-billion dollar token. So uh, you'd need to do like a 51% attack. So you'd have to buy up, you know, 51%. I'm not sure that's ever going to make financial sense to try to attack it in that way and get enough voting shares that you can really mess with that. So it, it's a way to protect like the company and the future of the protocol and everything by distributing that. But airdrops, it's like, I would say it's like a new form of a marketing method that these protocols or we're effectively like startups are doing, where it's like giving startup shares to all your early users. So yeah. often people will be like, oh man, are they ever going to do an airdrop where they're going to drop their tokens? Because like after a protocol is live for a period of time, often they do an airdrop to like their early adopters. And then it gets all of us talking about it. We're basically like a, an expensive affiliate network of, you know, doing marketing for the yeah. company. But they um, didn't really have to pay anything for that. That's the other part of it is these, I guess that that's the, the mechanic I'm unclear on. It's whoever said, I guess ENS already the token had a, like a, a price. And I just remember this case, this was, a, I swear this was a Silicon Valley episode where they, they had a Pied Piper token. And it was like, instead of doing a, a series C or a series B or something, they, they did their own token and it was like seven cents. Yes. I remember that. Because <laughs> yeah, uh, it was like 2017. Where it was I like know. The ICO I was thinking craze, about that. And that was a big thing, but now it's a real thing that people are doing. And these tokens have real value. And these, these protocols very quickly become worth like billions of dollars and they're effectively billion dollar startups that you know came up in six months or something. It's a wild world how quickly these things are all scaling. Yeah, very cool. Why does that remind me of debt and debt financing? It's you're just seeing this liquidity. This and maybe that's just a sign of the times. Maybe we won't talk be talking about this a year or two from now, but uh, it seems like with that liquidity for I don't know. I'm not going to call us average Joes because we're not like we are tech savvy and we bought those ENS domains essentially. But I think people are, are realizing, especially with COVID and if no surprise to anybody, it's like maybe owning a business or running a business or spending time on something you own is a better use of your time versus working for others. And so I think 
all of these things have these similar sort of harmonies to them that are starting to click together. And, and it's always with crypto, it feels like, oh, it feels like the future. And, but it, it does seem like you're seeing the convergence of post-COVID economy, just people, not even, it's not working remotely. It's like wanting to get more out of their, what they're working on and see an outcome. And there's no better way than working hard on something, having something like your business pay your salary, and then also having something of value that you could potentially sell if you wanted. I, I heard someone call it recently, like the great reevaluation. So during COVID, <laughs> people yes. reevaluated their jobs, reevaluated where they're living, reevaluated who they're married to when they're stuck in a house. So there are a lot more divorces. And now it's like, a, I, I, I was thinking like how hard people work to make like $10,000. And then yeah. if you just are like messing around and you're curious in this DeFi world, like $10,000 is just handed to you. And so it is, or you could play these games like Axel Infinity and you can make more than minimum wage just playing a video game. It is like, uh, I don't know if you should be working for minimum wage if you could just poke around in the Stefi world with a little bit of money and make significantly more. Or like NFTs, NFTs are ridiculous to me, but people made a boatload of money just being ready for the next airdrop and spending $50 on something. And then that very quickly could be flipped for like hundreds of dollars. I'm not the greatest at math, but if you're making $20 an hour, that's basically 3,200 uh, and you're working full-time 160 hours a month. That's $100 a month. Think about how much $10,000 is to the average person who that's minimum wage in a lot of places now, but it, it still is a good salary or a good hourly wage in a lot of places. So I think I'm concerned that there will be a greater divide in some ways, but at the same time, it's access to knowledge and, and knowledge can be, it doesn't necessarily, this is like more civilization or societal questions, but I don't think it necessarily the knowledge of these different platforms, currencies, or even like NFTs, like you could see those things. It doesn't, as long as you have a connection, like you can get a, a wallet. As long as you have a connection, a lot of things can become available to you. You can read about thing, these things, connect with people on discord, and you're just seeing a convergence of things. So it's very cool time to be alive, but just the disparity between, Hey, I've got to go work for three months at a job or three and a half months at a job. And that's not even including taxes and to get $10,000 versus just, I don't know. My parents told me there's no such thing as a free lunch. No one's just going to give you $10,000, Colin, but it just happened. Yeah. It's wild. It's a wild world out there. I, I think it's only going to get crazier. I think technology is pushing faster and it seems wild now. It's, it's impossible to predict where things lead. It's exciting. I would say, I, I don't know that I would know as much about it after, if not doing this podcast, I've always been curious about it, but I'm getting more and more interested digging into weird discords. That's been interesting to see the discord culture associated with cryptocurrencies and some of the interesting tools out there. I love the idea of, as it relates to business payments though, just digging into this more and, and seeing, I think you're going to see more and more companies, or I should say freelancers and small businesses want to get paid in crypto or, because I think about this, you're definitely going to file this $10,000 as I, on your IRS return to cryptocurrency gains. Because yep. it's like, <laughs> what, what, I mean, come on, what is it? I, it's not cash yet. I haven't turned it into anything. It doesn't hit a bank account. Like how do you, how are they going to even regulate that stuff and know about it? Yeah. My plan there is just not to sell anything. And then I'm hoping I could all just push it off until it could be automated. And there's like software that could look through your transaction history and tell you what your you know tax bill would properly be. Yeah. No kidding. That That's going to be very difficult.
it's all, the rules are just not very good right now either. So it's like, what is a taxable event is still very fuzzy. So, you know, I think they're going to need a lot more smart tax attorneys out there to figure out all this stuff. Well, I dig it. So we've covered it all, really. We've gone from debt to NFTs, but technically isn't your Ethereum name an NFT? Yes, it is. So there you go. You're an NFT owner. I am. I also have been gifted some NFTs that just show up in your wallet. Like people on Twitter are always asking, like, we're dropping a bunch of NFTs and drop your you know, ETH handle. So I drop it and occasionally you get stuff handed to cool. you. I'm going to start doing that. I thought it was just a, I don't know. Again, I'm so skeptical of get, getting anything for free. It's like, what? Huh? Anyways, it's a brave new world. I'm ready for it though. It's a new world out there. All right. I think we could sign off. Uh, Take care, everyone. Thanks so much.